Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu. All right, um, we're going to go ahead and get started. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Institute of World Politics. For those of you who are new, IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs. We have five master's de degree programs, 18 certificates of study, and a new doctoral program. We also offer the opportunity to take a single course without having to pay an entire semester's worth of tuition costs. One can also audit such a course at a much less cost. If you are interested in learning more about us, please feel free to speak to one of our staff at the conclusion of this event. Ms. Niyama Ahmadi, a native of Keb Kabaya, North Darfur region of Sudan, Ms. Ahmadi is the founder and president of the DC-based Darfur Women Action Group, the organization that focuses on empowerment of the Darfur genocide affected communities and historically marginalized Sudanese to bring them to the center to participate in decision making and to effectively contribute to shaping the future of Sudan. Previously, Ms. Hamadi worked with NGOs in various fields of emergency and development in Sudan, including Oxfam Great Britain Intermediate Technology Development Group and the United Nations World Food Program. Ms. Hamadi was recognized by President George W. Bush as one of eight Global Human Rights Fighter of the Year, 2008. Ms. Hamadi is a veteran human rights advocate and seasonal strategic planning and management professionals. Ms. Hamadi previously worked as Director of Global Partnerships for United to End Genocide and the Save Darfur Coalition. She served as an advisor at the seventh round of Inter-Sudanese Darfur Peace Talks in Abuja, Nigeria in 2006. Hashim Meki has taught Arabic language, culture, and Middle East media at IWP since 2012. He's the owner of Bridge Language Solutions, providing an array of language translation, interpretation, and teaching services to the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, and the founder of Keeley Global, a nonprofit organization that promotes education, health, and economic empowerment in Sudan and the Republic of South Sudan. He also teaches Arabic language to federal employees and professionals at the National Nuclear Security Administration at the Department of Energy. Mr. Meki volunteers with the IWP Center for Human Rights and International Affairs by providing Arabic translations and strategic cultural perspectives on North Africa and the Middle East. Mr. Meki previously worked, in this, worked with the Center for Strategic and International Studies and served on the Board of Voices of Sudan, a nonprofit based in Washington, D.C. He holds bachelor's degree in both political science and international studies from the City College of New York and a Master of Arts in Strategic Studies and International Politics from IWP. Please join me in welcoming our speakers today. Can you hear me? Fantastic. Thank you so much, Anna, for introducing us. And, uh, appreciate it. And thank you to the audience uh, for coming. Uh, thank you, Nemad, for uh, coming and uh, uh, being able to speak. So
So, um, I will set the scene and we will begin momentarily. First, we will uh, start with uh, the speaker and I will ask her a couple questions and then we'll lead the discussion and then I will open it up to, uh, to the audience uh, for Q&A. So, get your questions ready and uh, don't shy away. Thank you. Welcome, Nehmat. Thank you, Hashim. Uh, I'm pleased to be with you this afternoon. And I would like to thank the Institute for World Politics to, for the opportunity to share with you our thought about the current situation in Sudan and how we can move forward toward transforming Sudan into a stable and peaceful country. So I look forward to have an interactive conversation with you and hopefully we can all help the people of Sudan and those who are working on Sudan uh, to do things right once and help the people of Sudan to achieve peace and stability. Thank you. Thank you for this inspiring words. Uh, Ramad, uh, what's the historical uh, factors that have led, in your, uh, in your experience, what are the historical factors that has led to the, uh, to the current revolution? If you can uh, briefly talk about the history and the context. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Hashim. Uh, well, um, uh, you may all have been watching and following the news and uh, the recent development in Sudan. Uh, so, um, um, what we are going to talk about is to talk about the recent development in Sudan, but also um, um, dive into the causal factor or the historical background of why there has been a recent revolution in Sudan and what has led to that revolution. So speaking about the current situation in Sudan cannot be uh, um, addressed without um, looking into the background or the historical um, events that led to the recent development in Sudan. So speaking about Sudan, um, this is the government that came to power by coup, a military coup that was orchestrated in uh, June 30th of 1989 uh, that toppled a democratically elected government. And this uh, group of, um, like, hybrid uh, group of Islamic fundamentalists and military uh, dictators took on uh, the ruling power in Sudan. And then they had a great idea of this is, we are rescuing the people of Sudan. People were hopeful because uh, they, at that moment also there has been um, some crisis that was going on in Darfur, in South Kordofan, and then the situation in um, South Sudan. Um, so everyone was hoping that these people came and they said, uh, like, the expectation really high for people that we are rescuing the people of Sudan, we are going to change the Sudan, we are going to advance your life, and everyone was so happy. So the next thing happened is that unfortunately within the promise that the people of Sudan were expecting and the hope that the people of Sudan have had in this new government that came and um, with um, different agenda of reorienting the people of Sudan. So the problem, they created uh, multiple problems, but number one, they followed a political Islam that has um, the ideology of um, Islamic fundamentalists 
they sort of this, even though um, Sudan is a majority Muslim country, they want to reorient the people of Sudan uh, from the idea of the Islam that they have into a new um, direction. And that has caused a lot of issues because the people of Sudan, they did not need new religious orientation. They need development, they need stability, they need to participate in shaping the life uh, or the life in their country. So that has um, created um, some um, issues, uh, including um, with South Sudan. Obviously, South Sudan is where the majority of the population are Christian, and they have lived with um, Sudanese. We did not have any religious problems in the past years, of course. Uh, following the uh, colonial era, there has been um, developmental marginalization that led the South Sudanese to pick up arm, and that also um, very well connected to the, the, the issues that led to the current situation because there is this um, Arab elite in the center who have controlled the power, they inherited the ruling power from the uh, colonial and they continue to marginalize the majority of Sudanese who are indigenous Africans. But when they were fighting South Sudan, they used religious as um, justification of like, oh, well, these are people who of a different religion, which is not, this is in the Sudanese society, this is not an issue at all. Uh, and then, uh, so now when it come recently, they uh, created also issues with the people of Darfur, and then that led into committing genocide against the people of Darfur, and then uh, the Nubu Mountain, but, before that, uh, down the road, first they start establishing um, connection and collaboration with global extremist group. And that has put Sudan in a very um, um, uniquely terrible situation whereby Sudan has been um, designated by the U.S. government as a terrorist sponsor country for legitimate reasons. Um, the government, uh, the al-Bashir regime has hosted uh, Osama bin Laden and also they were collaborating with Hamas, many other groups and that has led to Sudan into being isolated. They were, they were subjected to sanctions and there was in, Sudan was unable to prosper because they cannot establish um, investment or global transaction and that has led the country into isolation but they also just lied to the people of Sudan and they said, well, wait for us like five years from now, we are going to turn this around and make the country the best country in the world. And then the people of Sudan were expecting that they will resolve this issue. Unfortunately, they didn't. So that was one of the factors that Sudan continued to be isolated from being able to economically prosperous, but also uh, in, in terms of like human development and um, exploitation or um, utilization of the Sudanese natural resources. Then um, later, um, within the same time, they launched a jihad war against the people of South Sudan that unfortunately uh, later on led to the separation of South Sudan. And then in early 2000, um, 2001-2002, the government in, in Khartoum has created militia from Arab origin to uh, launch a genocidal attack against the people of Darfur because of their ethnicity. And that has led to um, the highest cost ever 
that the people of Darfur have seen, but also the people of Sudan, um, uh, whereby millions of people have been forced to flee, and um, many more have been killed uh, over the United Nations um, reported in 2006. This was the last update, official update from the United Nations that over 300,000 people have been killed. But unfortunately, the attacks and the killing continued, uh, but there was an update of statistics, but uh, the people of that poor believe that nearly a million people have been killed. And um, as a result of that, there was a global outrage, that, and again, Sudan has been subjected to UN sanction, European Union sanction, and then also the United States under the Bush administration have imposed sanction under uh, Darfur Peace and Accountability Act that was unanimously supported by the U.S. Congress, uh, based the House of Representatives and the Senate. So, um, in 2004, the situation was officially declared by the U.S. government as a genocide. And following to that, the case has been referred to the International Criminal Court, um, uh, which investigated and found it that uh, genocide, war crimes, and crimes against humanity have been committed. Then. Uh, after that, President, uh, the International Criminal Court has issued um, multiple arrest warrants for uh, Sudanese officials, including the former President al-Bashir, and um, for the crimes of genocide, war crimes, and crimes against humanity uh, committed in Darfur. But unfortunately, President Bashir continued to defy justice, uh, continued to travel the world as internationally vigorous of justice. And uh, there hasn't been any justice um, served for the people of Darfur or accountability for the perpetrated people who perpetrated the crimes. So you may ask how this led to the recent uprise. Uh, as a result of that, um, well, before that, in 2011, after the separation of South Sudan, um, there are two other regions that are part and parcel of the issue of South Sudan, the people of Nuba Mountains and the Blue Nile. These people have fought alongside with the southern Sudanese, and the agreement has granted them the right for popular consultation. And that popular consultation is supposed to give the people of New Mountains and the Blue Nile the right to determine their future, whether they want to be a part of the Sudan or they want to be part of South Sudan or have an autonomous region. Unfortunately, the government in Khartoum, instead of uh, implementing that popular consultation, has decided to appoint a man who was indicted for war crimes in Darfur, uh, Ahmed Haroun, who used to be the former interim minister for Darfur, who has recruited, equipped, and executed part of the genocide in Darfur to be the governor of uh, South Kordofan. Then, um, as soon as he was appointed, um, he launched a war against um, presumably the SPLM North, but it wasn't against the SPLM North. Unfortunately, it was directed towards innocent civilians. Uh, many people have been killed. Uh, many more have been forced to flee to South Sudan, to Ethiopia, Uganda, and many other countries. Until today, people in Nuba Mountains are still living in caves. And the international community has not held the government of Sudan accountable for breaching the agreement, violating the agreement, not only um, denying the people of Nuba Mountain and the Blue Nile uh, their right for a popular consultation, but also 
single out the Abia region, the oil-rich region, and cut it out of the to be a part of South Sudan because Abia is rich in oil. And then they renegotiated the agreement after the South Sudanese took them to uh, the International Court of Justice. There was a ruling that in the favor of South Sudan, unfortunately, the government in Khartoum refused to abide by that. So how that affected the entire situation in Sudan? As a result of all of this, um, two-thirds of the Sudanese population have been either internally displaced inside Sudan or refugees in the neighboring countries. These are people who used to be farmers, civil servants, herders, who are actively producing and contributing uh, from that four South Kurufan and Blue Nile alone. They used to contribute to the national um, income for with about 60% in agriculture and livestock. Now that completely has been dismantled and, and eliminated. So these people who have been uh, actively producing, now they cannot do anymore, but they, their human rights have been um, strictly violated and they were held hostage for years depending in, uh, in, on aid system. Uh, well, then the government has negotiated so many peace deals between the Darfuri opposition, between the SPLM Norse, uh, including the negotiation with South Sudan, the, the government in Khartoum never abide by whatever agreements they do. They are very good at go to the table, discuss the agreement, sign whatever um, the agreement has brought, never implemented. And as a result of that, the government took this approach of using military means to resolve the crisis in Sudan versus using peaceful means to resolve the crisis. So what that means, that means uh, the overwhelming majority of the um, country's uh, resources goes into military expenditure, buying weapons, recruiting militias, and killing the Sudanese people, which is a very unfortunate situation that led into not only um, the area affecting the areas that are impacted by the crisis, but also impacted the entire Sudan, whereby um, the um, education budget and health was less than 10%, while the military uh, budget was over 80%. So the result will be obvious. Uh, there is no education, there is no investment in health or infrastructure, but there is a lot of investment in military, not to protect the Sudanese border, but to, pro to fight the Sudanese citizens themselves. So that has led into um, the next stage, which he um, came into the recent uh, revolution. But um, the recent revolution was uh, back when the government was fighting the people of Sudan, or the people in Nubu Mountain, or the people of Darfur. The rest of Sudanese were manipulated by the regime's uh, media. Also, the government has used um, the divide to conquer approach to divide Sudanese people along ethnic, geographical, political, and religious lines. And that has led into most of the Sudanese, when the genocide was unfolding in Darfur, they were silent. Uh, no one has held the government accountable, protested it, or said anything about it. So, but recently when this uh, accumulation of all of these factors came into the level that the suffering has entered into every single Sudanese household, and now the people of Sudan realize that it's not about 
the people of Darfur. It's not about Nubu Mountains. It's not about South Sudan. It is a government in the center, in Khartoum, that is orchestrating uh, the devastation, the suffering, and all of that. So then, again, the same government has used the Sudanese resources into enriching their own self uh, and their family. You taking the money, storing it outside of Sudan, and depriving the Sudanese people from using their own resources. So that um, contributed into creating economic crisis. Also, Sudan has accumulated a huge amount of debt, which is about uh, nearly $60 billion. So now the international community fed up of giving Sudan money that has not been utilized in helping or advancing the life of the people of Sudan or improving anything in Sudan, but enriching individuals and devastating the people of Sudan. Uh, then that has caused frustration, anger, and outrage uh, within the entire Sudan. Then the Sudanese from all walks of life came together and decided that this is about the regime in Khartoum. It's not about um, any single region. So now we have to come together and say no to this regime. So people protested and their demands were simple. They were asking for uh, freedom, peace, and justice. And the, um, the response from the government was brutal. The government cracked down on protesters by killing, arresting, abducting, and um, torturing people because of simply they peacefully demonstrated and raised their voice and asked for uh, change in government. So that has led into um, government killing uh, many people, including uh, the recent massacre that took place in, on uh, June 3rd of this year, um, in which he, the militias of um, uh, rapid support forces and along with other uh, militia groups, they went into the sit-in area whereby people organized and peacefully protested asking the military to side with uh, the civilian and uh, force the regime to, to step down. Well, al-Bashir was ousted in um, April of this year. Unfortunately, what the next thing happened is that um, three military generals from uh, al-Bashir regime have jumped and created this uh, transitional military council. And the transitional military council, instead of they showed, like, they pretended to people that, yes, they are siding with the civilians and the military is standing up for the people of Sudan, but that wasn't um, true. Uh, what they want is that they just want to rebrand their faces to keep controlling the affair of the people of Sudan. And then there was a mistake also being made from the side of the coalition of, the, of uh, freedom and change forces. Instead of uh, asking the military to surrender the power to civilians, then they start negotiating. These people are good, very good at negotiating, not giving you what you want. So they went into negotiating. Um, gratefully, the um, government of Ethiopia has mediated the negotiation, but the result was have giving uh, the agreement ha has been reached, but unfortunately the agreement has betrayed the people of Sudan by giving the ultimate power to the military, um, uh, uh, who are currently the member of the Sovereign Council, which is the Council of Presidency. Uh, the President of Sudan is right now General Al-Burhan, 
uh, the deputy is, or the vice president technically, is uh, Mohammed Hamdan, known as uh, Himeti, who um, was the prominent leader of Janjaweed, who has been working close, um, closely with Bashir to recruit the militias and bringing um, their affiliate from Arab origin, from Mali, Niger, Central African Republic, and Chad to recruit them to fight along the lines of the local Arabs against the people of Darfur, Nuba Mountain, the Indians, African, but also to support the agenda of the regime in Khartoum. Uh, so now the arrangement has given the, the, the military to, to rule the first part and the longest uh, part of the interim government. They give them only three years as an interim period, but the, out of that, 21 months are led by the military, and 18 months will be led by civilians, and we are hoping for that to come. Right now, um, we have two phases of government. The Prime Minister, who is a man with a good heart, but um, all the final decisions are made by the military, by the Sovereign Council. So, um, this is uh, the situation that the, the people are frustrated, and they kept telling them that they should be hopeful. Um, they appointed the, the cabinet of ministers, and um, people are hoping to see the change happen, but it, it is a very, very long uh, way to go in Sudan. It is not the change that... So as a result of all of this development, um, the Four Women Action Group here, our organization, based on our uh, being from Sudan, but also been working on Sudan for years, seeing the approach that the international community has taken uh, towards Sudan, but also the Sudanese leaders themselves, they continue to address whatever turmoil happened in Sudan on an ad hoc basis. So we took on the role of organizing, convening a group of, of experts and, and civil society group from bodies regions of Sudan to, to speak and to think strategically that now that there is um, interim government, whether we like them or not, they are going to take on the role of leading this interim. Uh, so yes, we are holding them accountable, we speak up, but we also have to come up with um, something that we can um, pressure them to, to understand or even by start thinking of it. So we came together and developed a strategic framework for sustainable solution or sustainable change in the Republic of Sudan. And the strategic framework is um, um, is a collective effort that's led by that for Women Action Group uh, with contribution from uh, people who are expert on international human rights law, humanitarian laws, international justice, and people who work in situations uh, like Sudan, people who with experience working on Rwanda, uh, Cambodia, Liberia, Radion, and many other Latin America. And uh, our thinking was that um, the leaders in Khartoum, they always have sort of Sudan as a crisis of government. But that's not the case. There are historical grievances that need to be carefully understood and analyzed and taken into consideration to design an approach that will help resolve the problem of Sudan sustainably. So we look into the Yes, the current situation needs to be addressed, but also there are historical causal factors or grievances that led to the current situation. And we developed the framework on the basis of that these are the problems, 
and these are the, the causal factors that led to the current situation, and this is how it needs, uh, supposed to be addressed. Um, uh, the, the framework has prioritized steps that need to be taken by the interim government, but also by the international community. First, uh, we demanded that um, the, the issue has to be um, addressed within, within the context of international standards, not just Sudanese standards or regional standards the way it is. And one of the challenges has faced the people of Sudan is that some of the regional players, like uh, Emirate government, Saudi government, have jumped on board and insisted in wanting a military government in Sudan, which is the part and parcel of the former government. And that was one of the problems. Uh, so we articulated the framework the way we, uh, we laid it down is that there, are, uh, there is a reality on the ground. The, 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 the strategic thinking has to follow these steps and also implement these steps to, to guarantee that we set the foundation for transformation of Sudan. Otherwise, if we look at the issue of Sudan, uh, this is our economic crisis, and we have to revive the economy and improve, and then go out like the current approach that the um, the interim government is taking by going asking the international community for uh, debt again. Uh, that's not a solution. So we want them to understand that there are immediate needs, and there are uh, short term, long term uh, uh, needs that need to be addressed. Um, in order for Sudan to be stable and to be able to, to, to transform into democratic and peaceful Sudan. And in our priorities, we lie down, a, number one is a criteria for who should be participating in the interim government. And those criteria is that uh, the interim government must not include people who commit crimes in Darfur or any region in Sudan including the crimes of genocide, war crimes, and crimes against humanity. And people who commit crimes against uh, violence against women or any kind of human rights violation should not be. And people who are supposed to be selected at this stage as also disarticulated by the forces of freedom and change to be um, technocrat, but uh, with a expertise, but also with moral integrity and um, uh, clean hand people who have not involved in crimes or have not involved with any international terrorism group or are not listed in the list of the United States sanction or UN sanction or any other regional um, measures that has been put. So that will put the Sudan again under isolation and limitation, which is right now also the case. There is a lot of um, skepticism and fear of um, those military generals may uh, be a problem for the, the transformation of Sudan, and that's uh, pretty true right now. So the next step is that looking at the situation we have when you have millions of people out of their homes and their villages are completely wiped out. The people of Darfur have been in camps for 16 years. The people of Nuba Mountain and the Blue Nile have been in camps and in caves in the top of the mountains for the last eight years. So even if today there is peace in Sudan, there need to be arrangements to create a, an enabling environment for these people. So we prioritize humanitarian need uh, as the, the former regime has expelled humanitarian organization from Sudan in 2009 following the indictment by the International Criminal Court. 
then until today they have not been allowed. By the time that the interim government uh, prepared itself to start uh, working to, in response to the need of the Sudanese people on the ground, these people need to be assisted because they are lacking minimal um, means of sustenance or means of survival in camps. So we ask that the Prime Minister should um, issue an appeal uh, if the humanitarian organization, those were expelled uh, back during the Shia regime to come back to Sudan so that they can provide uh, aid assistance uh, to the needy and across uh, within the conflict-affected areas, but also across other areas in Sudan. And, um, the, and also, we prioritize creation of the enabling environment. Um, the enabling environment, say, negotiated peace with armed opposition from Darfur and South Korea and the Blue Nile to be able to integrate them into the, uh, any process uh, toward um, rebuilding the future of Sudan. And, and, and why that's important, because these people have legitimate concern and legitimate reason that led them to oppose the former regime. And then also we prioritize restructuring of the Sudanese army. We have multiple militias that were created by the former regime. They're not organized, they're not fully trained. They have loyalties <coughs> to individual, not to the state. So in order to have stability in Sudan, um, those militias need to be reintegrated into the national army. Accountability needs to take place, but first they have to reintegrate them because right now the rabbit support force is under the leadership of Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo, who's known as Himeti. That will create a situation whereby they are, they are in one group, they will continue to do the same. They would not abide by any uh, national army rules. So that's very important to reintegrate them into the Sudanese army, create one national Sudanese army that will protect the Sudanese border versus attacking the Sudanese people or fighting the Sudanese people. Also restructuring the police and the security forces so that there will be civilian police that will deal with um, rule of law and law enforcement, not the military. Uh, that also one of the important recommendations that's supposed to be then in the short run, um, not the long run, so that the, we guarantee that there, there is um, stability. And we demanded that the prime minister and the interim government ask for withdrawal of forces from the civilian occupied area, like the around villages, camps, and cities, to where um, the uh, historically or traditionally known military bases. And then uh, we um, stress two important kind of accountability, um, the financial accountability. And someone may ask why this is important. It's that those who involve with international terrorist group, these are a member of the regime who accumulate money into their names and their story, and then they can destabilize the country at any time because they're using their international allies Right now, they're mobilizing and raising concern that this is against them, against their party, and all of that. Number two, also, there, there is a huge amount of money that they they smuggle it in outside of Sudan, and some of them are in the Sudan, but they did not invest it in Sudan. Instead of our, the, the Sudanese government goes out and asks for um, assistance, we better have to see Sudan does its own due diligence by holding these people accountable, tracking that money, restoring it, and utilizing it into 
um, re development and reconstruction, compensating the victims of the crisis that uh, are sponsored and orchestrated by Bashir regime, and also showing the international community that we are setting a system and holding those who uh, created this crisis accountable. Uh, number two, the other type of accountability is the criminal accountability. There is um, crimes has been committed in Darfur and across the Sudan, war crimes, um, genocide, <coughs> crimes against humanity, but also the recent incident that happened at the sit-in area in front of the Sudanese um, the army headquarters is um, it, a crisis of global um, magnitude, uh, whereby they also use rape as, uh, as a weapon of terrorization. Uh, because women were, were very visible in, in, in protesting and organizing, so they want to punish and terrorize women, so that they so um, we demanded that uh, criminal accountability at least the four um, suspects were wanted by the international criminal court should be held accountable, and, and also um, creating a presence whereby no one should be above the law, and that is to signal accountability for the current military uh, leaders who are part of the interim government to understand that they will be held accountable for whatever, they have consequences for whatever crimes they committed. And if we don't pursue accountability, then they will understand that they can commit any crimes as long as they can hold onto power and the state for as long as they want to get away with immunity and also to protect themselves. So that's very important that the accountability being prioritized. And then uh, we also talk about the rights of these displays and refugees to restore their property under international laws, um, uh, uh, recognition of the crimes of genocide at national level, uh, by recognizing the grievances that the Sudanese people have been through, and then accountability for those who involved with the international terrorist groups. And, um, and then also working with the stakeholders, uh, international and regional organization, government that have reputation and track record of working in situations like this, at different stage, I think the, the framework, every single area of the framework requires like, an entire book and arrangement. So we try to make it brief so that people just have this like the general th strategic thinking. But we have details, and we will work on in on um, advocacy strategy to make the framework adopted. We submitted a copy of the framework to the interim government, to the office of prime minister. We submitted it to the member state of the UN Security Council, to the U.S. government, um, people at the Department of the State, people in Congress just to create them, um, a common thinking of this is the way supposed to be uh, you, the issues in Sudan approach. And we are hoping to continue to work on that. Um, one of the, uh, um, the, 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 the problems also has been going on throughout the, um, the, 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 former, the time of former regime that this regime has used uh, rape as a weapon of war where women have been the most victimized women and girls. So we sort of, um, women issues has to be addressed within the international co context and all um, kind of harassment or discrimination against women is supposed to be punishable by law under international standards, not just the Sudanese context whereby the regime used Sharia laws and in some instance to oppress women 
and uh, perpetrate crimes against women under the so-called uh, some of the laws that they just created specifically for Sudan. And uh, because uh, women have been the most uh, affected, but also they have been um, they have demonstrated outstanding leadership and courage to lead the protest, but also in those areas that are affected by crisis, women have been in staying in camp. For instance, in Darfur, the overwhelming majority of those who live in camps are women and children. The same thing in New Mountain. These women, they have not been just victimized and suffered, but they also have uh, continued to lead their communities, speaking on their behalf to the international community, addressing their issues, and taking leadership role to organizing and working with their people to fight for their rights. So I think if women are given opportunity, I think that there will be hope that Sudan will be transformed. And that's um, evident by the role has been played by women throughout the crisis in Sudan, during the Bashir regime, Women civil society leaders have been using peaceful means by fighting for reform, opposing those laws that are oppressing, oppressing to, oppressive to women, but also other laws that are oppressive to the entire people of Sudan. Um, so I um, will list up uh, here and uh, see if Hashim has some other questions for me. And then after that, we can also open uh, it up for um, questions with our audience. Okay. Thank Thank you so much, Neva. Uh, as you can see, uh, Sudan has a complex history and it's uh, hard to uh, uh, summarize it in 20 minutes. But we will try to do our best here. Thank you. Uh, Neymar has mentioned that uh, Sudan was colonized. So just, you know, Sudan was colonized by Britain and uh, gained its independence in 1956. And also Neymar uh, pointed out that uh, South Sudan and North Sudan used to be one country. And if you can look at the map, um, the color in uh, purple, I believe, that's Sudan. And the bottom in green is uh, uh, the country of South Sudan. So it used to be one, was the biggest country in Africa, now they split into two. And the Islamic Front, also Nehmat uh, referred to, that's the party that brought uh, the dictator we're talking about here. The name is uh, Omar Hassan Ahmed al-Bashir. So, that he, you know. Okay, so Na'mat, I know it's complex, but if you can pick up one of all the uh, complexities, if you can pick up one issue that the, uh, in, in this current post-revolution that uh, you would pick so that Sudan could successfully transition into a, a a democracy or civilian-led uh, government, what would it be? Uh, well, I, I think accountability is the most important um, uh, priority for the people of Sudan. Um, in my entire life, being um, uh, born and raised in Sudan, and uh, luckily, fled the genocide ended up coming to the United States, but I have seen every single president came to power in Sudan have used their power to kill the Sudanese people and commit other crimes, and there hasn't been any accountability. Without accountability, Sudan cannot be transformed into democratic Sudan, because this created a norm that people fight to be in power, and tomorrow they will turn around for the very people that they led them to that position to by committing crimes against them, oppressing them. So 
right now to guarantee that Sudan will um, move forward, accountability is very important. Accountability for crimes committed, the abuse of power, and also um, crimes of, of corruption, but also um, the crimes of terrorism that has led Sudan into <coughs> isolation. Those who are involved with international terrorist group, I don't think we need to have that those people get away with what they did. Um, right. I think this. Okay. Yeah, they, okay. Sorry. Okay. Cool. Uh, thank you. Um, we'll open it up for the sake of time. We have about 15 minutes, I believe. So please ask your questions, and uh, we'll try to incorporate them into uh, uh, answers, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll do justice to this. Thank you. So I'm uh, Peter Humphrey, an intelligence analyst and a former diplomat. I note that uh, we've been hearing a lot of appeals for release of sanctions on a regular basis. And it's sort of always release all sanctions at once. And the US government position is, show us that you've really changed and that there's accountability for the people that killed the Janjaweed, that killed the demonstrators, and so forth. And so there's little chance, at least at the congressional level, of sanctions being eased. So given that, think that the military might lighten up even more in hopes of easing up the sanctions, maybe getting a few sanctions released, if not all of them. Maybe something that's important to the economy of Sudan. But that's not happening. And so as time goes on, despite the deal, we have sort of less and less faith that when three years is done, there will be a civilian government in charge. Uh, what's your guess? Is this really going to work, or um, are we going to be dragging through the mud for at least three years, and then there's going to be a crisis, and the military goes ahead and takes over again? Thank you. Noted. Thank you. Uh, well, do, do you want to take more questions? Yeah, uh, well, I think uh, this is a very, very important question, and uh, to tell you the truth is that um, giving away um, for the United States government. This is very important that um, the U.S. have a policy that integrate accountability and also uh, protection of human rights and promotion of human rights in Sudan. And to do so, it's not giving away the lifting. Of course, I'm a Sudanese American, and whatever happened in Sudan affects me in many different ways. All my family is uh, uh, still living in Sudan. But also, we have to to have to show the, the those who commit those crimes that we have we can hold them accountable. Yes, of course we have the interim government, but those who commit crimes are still in Sudan. Most of them are still leading institutions. They have not been held accountable. If the U.S. just move forward and release sanctions, we know that these generals have many and have their militias. Those fundamentalists who have been regrouping right now, we don't know what they are planning to do. So look at other countries whereby like U.S. move fast and given reward versus um, uh, like holding uh, people accountable. Then uh, the next thing is that then if they can conduct tra international transaction and they be able to move that money around, you cannot hold them accountable. I think the delisting of Sudan should be kept until see the interim government demonstrate verifiable. Uh, changes on the ground that 
we are not um, having people who will go around and commit crimes, people who involve with terrorists, supposed to be singled out and held accountable. They put the entire Sudanese people hostage, but also lifting sanctions. Um, there are reasons for um, which the sanctions was imposed. Did those, those reasons eliminate it? Not. Was so, the yeah. sanctions that is associated with the, the listing of Sudan as a terrorist sponsor country? Those members of the regime who involved with terrorist group, they are still there. They have prominent schools right now. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with Namat. Uh, the conditions for removing Sudan need to be verified and they need to work towards accountability and uh, so that we see that they mean business and they're um, bringing people who committed atrocities to a uh, trial. Thank you. Next. Um, as you mentioned, despite their political participation, Sudanese women are often left out of peace processes and political processes in the country. Yet there's still high levels of gender-based violence, sexual violence, especially in conflict zones in Sudan. Um, and the reality is that we have this interim government, whether they're there for reasons the Sudanese people would like or not. In your opinion, what type of inclusive measures should the transitional government take to include women in peace processes? Because Women cannot, I mean, women's rights cannot be secured. We can't address accountability for gender-based violence and sexual violence in these regions if women are not at the negotiating table or not in the processes. And as we've seen now, I mean, there is lack of representation of women um, in this current peace processes and former ones. Well, I think uh, I can agree more with you that um, right now all the processes are lacking women's participation. And in order to address that, the interim uh, constitution has to integrate women's participation and it has to include a specific quota for women's participation has to be 50%, 30% instead of just vaguely stating it in the constitution that the considerable participation of women. So um, I think measures need to be taken and it's being a specific, but also support for women civil society leaders because uh, there are so many groups who are working really hard to integrate women's participation and to, to advance laws that are favorable to women. So that is where um, I think um, the international and regional stakeholders need to invest by empowering women in Sudan to be able to take on that role, but also conditioning it to any kind of support given to Sudan by seeing more women's participation prioritized clearly and um, determined. If I may add to, uh, because culturally Sudan, as Nemat has mentioned, is, uh, its uh, constitution and laws are based on Islam. So the constitution, Islam, if you're familiar with it, uh, you know, restricts women's rights. So now what uh, Nemat alluded to the legislation, legislation that they haven't formed the body yet. So maybe the question also ought to be, how does that looks like going forward. Does it include women and is it secular? Is it based on Sharia law? Because without that, it's harder to uh, run T rights. And you can look at the uh, regional context. Uh, Saudi Arabia is not a good example, but other countries are. Thank you. Next question. Um, actually, my question is, uh, is related. Um, 
speak a lot about accountability, um, but uh, I doubt that the interim government will hold itself accountable. Um, so what can international organizations do to empower the Sudanese to hold the interim government accountable? Because I feel like if without the people, I mean, I suppose the international community can do it as well, but the Sudanese people are really the ones who are going to hold the government accountable to make sure the transition is successful. Great question. Thank you. Uh, well, I think uh, that's a very important point, Trace, is um, like looking at um, throughout the the, 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 the period of the uh, al-Bashir regime, civil society group, uh, for, as example, I can mention the Darfur Bar Association. This is a coalition of lawyers, uh, for not only from Darfur, but from the entire Sudan, who allied themselves together, have been working really hard, using peaceful means to provide legal aid and um, uh, representation for people who have been oppressed, killed, arrested, or tortured, and fighting along the line, challenging the regime. So that is where I think support needs to be put. Of course, we need um, international community involvement. There are various levels to this. Empowering those um, civil society groups is very important for the international organization working in Sudan. But also there is international institution. We understand that for the case of Darfur, it's under the jurisdiction of the ICC, but United States is not a member state of the, the International Criminal Court. But the United States has um, a president of playing an important role in pursuing justice and accountability in areas where genocide has been committed, and also the places where there is um, crime of terrorism. So I think the U.S. in that context can take its own bilateral approach to empowering local institutions and also using all the international means or leverages at hand to pursue accountability for that and then also the regional um, actors as, as well. So whenever it is applicable to use either international mechanism or regional mechanism and then empowering people so that they themselves can work side by side to exercise pressure over the interim government to pursue accountability. And if I may add to, great point, Ahmad, if I may add to concerning uh, regional, we, we cannot uh, eliminate from this calculus China and Russia and uh, other powers because when it comes to the ICC, uh, some, um, you know, some countries in, in the African Union uh, against, they, they did not agree to uh, hold, uh, I mean, hold al-Bashir accountable. So I think one thing also is not only what the U.S. can do, but what can the international community together do to put pressure and bring people like uh, al-Bashir to accountability? Thank you. The next question. Great. If I understood the, your, the first part of your question, this is about, about accountability. Um, it's about crime. Oh, Keeping people the, with that 
after I even on your mind away from the post-revolution government? Uh, well, um, yeah, I, I know it is very challenging when uh, when you have part of those people who commit the crimes are leading the interim uh, period. But I also think there is a lot of leverage here that right now Sudan is in need in desperate need of the support from the international community. The international community has to be vigilant and strong in terms of, of course, we can help the government, the interim government, but these are our measures. Accountability has to be prioritized, but also while working uh, in empowering people, like civil society group, giving them training, providing technical training. When it comes to support, Sudan has been asking the international community for money right now. I do think a government like the United States and other government need to provide technical assistance instead of giving money to a single government, whereby it did not trickle down to people. It has to be provided in a form of technical assistance, say, we, we don't have, like, a, um, like effective financial institutions. That has to be set up and that is where technical uh, support will be. We need legal institutions, judicial, independent judicial system. Countries like U.S. can help in that, providing expertise, providing training, providing technical assistance, setting the bank system to prevent corruption. All of that need, instead of just taking money and giving it to the government, accumulating debt and stealing it, ways need to be prioritized to, to guarantee that this goes to people but also establish institution. If we have this institution then we can hold people accountable. If we don't have um, independent strong institution based on the international standards that we cannot. Right now like China investing in Sudan but there is no rules for investment so even like um, the the daily laborers, they bring them from China. Local Sudanese don't have any opportunities to work where they are um, exporting, um, uh, they're investing in oil or the gold from Darfur. No, Darfur has seen this gold. It's taken raw to the United Arab Emirates. <coughs> we heard that Russia has hunted. So that institution needs to be created even if they want to revive Sudan to um, revive, it, to help Sudan to revive its economy those kind of help need to come in the form of technical assistance, establishing an institution, empowering civil society group to work toward those reform and conditioning accountability measures for the interim government if they need support from the international community. Agreed. Uh, the opportunities are there, like Neymar has said, and uh, she's absolutely right. The, I think the time is ripe now because in the past, it was dictatorship, so it wasn't opened. Sudan wasn't willing as a country, but now, the, as Nehmat has laid out, it's open for business. So I absolutely think there's a good chance and opportunity here for things to happen. Next question. I, I think uh, Bashir might have had a little war going on in South Sudan, maybe in the Nuba Mountains, and, and I'm not sure whether they're in just South Sudan or, or North Sudan as well. But um, I'm wondering how the, the uh, deposing of Bashir has impacted uh, South Sudan, Sudan uh, relations in terms of uh, the conflicts of the DNR and countries. Well, I think. Um as uh, we all know, and um, some one thing that I can say, and this we have we have said this repeatedly, that the real problem is not in South Sudan; it is in the Sudan. Even uh, many international uh, actors were thinking that uh, uh, the, after the separation of South Sudan, that the problems of Sudan would be resolved. But 
the problem actually is in Sudan. The deposition of Bashir has contributed, but in the long run, we will see more stability in South Sudan as um, there are credible allegations that the Bashir regime was helping the opposition to destabilize South Sudan, also holding the oil from South Sudan hostage because the oil refineries are in Sudan and then they imposing more uh, fees and uh, sometimes the government of South Sudan doesn't have uh, that many handy to, to pay its uh, soldiers. And then um, that created some sort of like individual loyalties. The um, armies in South Sudan are loyal to who can be able to pay them. And that also those conditions were influenced by Sudan. And that is why I know the Southern Sudanese leaders have failed and they need to accept responsibility, but also the root cause of the problem and the influence of Bashir regime in South Sudan that are pretty obvious. And I think that the position of Bashir will help, but also Holding Bashir accountable would also signal uh, to the, the leaders in South Sudan that if they will do the same as what Bashir is doing, they will be held accountable. If Bashir is uh, getting away with immunity, I think there is um, a possibility of promoting immunity in the Sudan, but also in South Sudan. Thank you. Next question. Uh, you brought a good phrase, uh, technical assistance. How do you see the United States uh, helping with technical assistance? And Uh, the activities of uh, one Lieutenant General, uh, Mohammed Hamdan Dangwa. And uh, what I specifically mean is we know, we know about his activities with uh, protecting the Russians, mining gold, and, and uranium, by the way, um, in Dafra, General Lemire. Uh, we know about his uh, human trafficking into Libya. We know about his... Uh, in Yemen, providing ground forces for both Saudi Arabia and uh, UAE, um, and more. So my question is, uh, obviously, Hamedi is the biggest threat here to many. And uh, so how do you see the United States helping with technical assistance? Uh, well, um, I think this is a very important question. Um, uh, as I spoke about financial accountability, Himeti right now have a huge amount of money that was dumped by the Emirates and Saudi into his account. Um, if the United States can track um, the accounts of the generals, and in that context we recommended targeted sanction, imposing targeted sanction and travel ban all over people who commit crimes and continue to destabilize the Sudan, like Mohammed Hamdan Dagolo. And um, the financial accountability, there is a um, very good precedent that happened before in the case of Iraq in the post-Saddam Hussein, tracking the money of the former regime element, restoring it, bringing back. U.S. has ability, all transactions go through New York. Like If you want to track it, it's easy to be. If the U.S. government can help in tracking that money that was smuggled and stolen from Sudan, Mohammed Hamdan Dagolo, it's dangerous, but he's not... If he don't have that money, he will not maintain the troop and he will not present any danger because he's not a trained military. He has no any kind of like base of support. His base of support is these regional players. And if we can track that money, freeze his asset, restore it back and redistribute it to the people of Sudan, then he will be just like any other Sudanese individual 
and then until the time comes that we can take him to court and be held accountable. I think that's very important. Any more questions? Uh, well, um, no, last question. Having worked here for a good while, I wanted to let the uh, people get through the serious questions. I well, thank you for being two, generous with your time. Two uh, trivial questions. One is, uh, uh, Sudan is a member of the uh, African Union? Correct. What role does it play? And one, and number two, I wondered if, like South Africa, uh, Sudan was considering the possibility of uh, adopting Swahili in schools to create you know, a long-range plan of uniting Africa. Uh, well, um, uh, Sudan, um, as, as you said, the Sudan, Sudan's role within the African Union over the last several years, Sudan has played a leading, leading role and is still important because Sudan is very strategic. It's the heart of Africa. We border, um, uh, Sudan border how many countries? Uh, Egypt, Libya, Chad, Central African Republic, Uganda, Kenya, Ethiopia, Eritrea. Uh, so name it even more. May I may miss some of them. So. And we, we are bordering of West Africa, but also North and East Africa and the Middle East. So you can understand the strategic location and also the diversity of population, the richness of resources of Sudan and the richness of culture. Sudan is of important uh, significance to the African Union. So now in the recent years um, and the, d during this recent development, the African Union has played a leading role and positive role. They have been playing a negative role and adopting uh, an approach like South Africa. So we are like figuring out what is the best approach, but uh, of course, um, integrating the historically marginalized Sudanese into the decision-making uh, arenas so that they can work hand in hand in shaping the future of Sudan is very important for us allowing people to exercise their culture, including languages. So in the various regions there are different languages, so people have to be allowed and understanding the one national identity as Sudanese, but also understanding the diversity of identities and allowing people to exercise their life. I think that, uh, from that we can borrow from South Africa, but also from other countries, and that's a very important aspect to our uh, sustainable solution. Thank you, Nehmat. Any last uh, thoughts? Uh, I been told the time is about uh, so uh, any final thoughts and we'll conclude this thank you uh, well uh, final thought as I said um, Sudan cannot move forward without accountability and those accountability has to include um, uh, judicial or um, criminal accountability and we also have to differentiate between criminal accountability and transitional justice. There are several arrangements that first the criminal accountability has to be prioritized, then also there will be peace, and then transitional justice whereby people can um, create a truth commission to investigate um, um, the, his, the grievances that the people of Sudan have been through, and letting the people of Sudan, who those who are impacted by conflict, determine what kind of uh, through commission they want to see and also recognizing the harm that was done, uh, recognizing the crimes of genocide, holding those who involved with terrorism accountable and make no mistake, the United States should not hurry toward lifting sanctions completely or delisting Sudan without seeing 
verifiable evidence on the ground of change in the behavior of the current the regime and the former the element of the former regime and when there are crises like the situation in Sudan investing in people investing in the people of Sudan building capacity supporting civil society group women uh, civil society leaders youth and education in Sudan that is the way uh, through which Sudan can be transformed and thank you for um, listening to us and coming here and I look forward to continue the conversation if you uh, have any questions please uh, feel free to contact the, the Institute here Hashim is part of the Institute but also we are we that for women action group is www.forwomenaction.org um, we are on Twitter Facebook and Instagram and uh, we'll definitely be more than happy to answer your question or any follow-up uh, questions that may come. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nemad. As Nemad has laid out throughout this uh, session, you can uh, see that the issue of Sudan is very complex, but uh, on positive note that there is uh, an opportunity here, and please do your work, uh, contact your congressmen, senators, whoever, and tell them Sudan does matter. And uh, we thank you for your, you know, great questions and for taking the time to come and participate. Thank you so much. And let's give uh, our host, uh, I'm now Gassi, a round of applause.